morning. My name is Dave Farley. I'm one of the pastors here at GCF. Uh, we are slowly working our way through the Gospel of John. Uh, this morning's text is John chapter 9, the whole chapter. So if you have your Bible, turn there, John chapter 9, verses 1 to 41. I'm going to pray once again uh, as we prepare our hearts to hear from God. Father, we are so thankful that you have chosen to speak to us in your holy, sacred word. Father, we pray now that you would send your spirit to bring sight, to bring healing. Take away our blindness. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. In the 1967 classic movie, Wait Until Dark, Audrey Hepburn plays the role of a young blind woman named Susie. Susie's husband goes away on a business trip and he comes back and he brings back uh, with him a small doll, a porcelain doll, to give to his wife as a gift. Unbeknownst to him, uh, this doll is stuffed with several bags of heroin. The husband leaves the wife Susie at home for another business trip, uh, and while he is gone on this business trip, three violent criminals show up at her house because they desperately want what's inside that doll, and that is some incredibly valuable bags of heroin. Now, keep in mind that she's blind. These guys eventually work their way into her house, her little apartment, lock the doors behind her, and they surround her. Now, what makes this so terrifying is that she's blind. She can't see. She can't see how close these guys are to her, uh, she can't see the looks on their faces. She can't see the weapons they're wielding. All she can do is grab objects and try to defend herself by swinging blindly around. So what happens? I'm not going to say. You'll have to watch the movie on Amazon tonight. It has a good ending. This movie's terrifying because this blind woman has no way of defending herself. She can't see. Blindness is often a terrifying and dangerous prospect. But what is far more dangerous than physical blindness is spiritual blindness. And John chapter 9 is the story of spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness is far worse than physical blindness because if someone is spiritually blind, they cannot see the glory of God in the face of Christ, which means they will never experience the forgiveness of sins. They'll never experience the power of God. They'll never experience what it means to be in relationship with God. And the worst thing is, the most dangerous thing about being spiritually blind is that you are blind to your own blindness. People that are spiritually blind have no clue that they can't see, which makes it even more dangerous. So is there any hope for people that are spiritually blind? Yes. John 9 lays out an incredible scenario of hope for all of us. Now, to help us understand this fantastic and famous story, we're going to look at the three episodes uh, of this story. The three episodes are this, blindness healed, blindness displayed, and then blindness applied. First is blindness healed. Look with me at John 9, verses 1 to 3. As he, that is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, 
Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man, uh, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Some rabbis taught that bad things happen to people because of their specific sins. Now, no doubt, there is evil and darkness and pain in this world because of sin in general, but there's not always a direct correspondence between our particular sins and our pain and misery. It's very dangerous to start to think that the things that I do, um, the sins that I commit lead to immediate consequences and actions. They sometimes do, but they sometimes don't. According to Jesus, this man's blindness was the result of the fact that God wanted to be glorified through him. Verses four to seven. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Side note, the pool of Siloam was discovered in 2004, which adds um, historical integrity to this account. But why in the world did Jesus spit in the ground and then mix that spit with mud, and then anoint the guy's eyes with mud. Why in the world did Jesus do that? Very bizarre and strange thing. Good question. One scholar speculates, I think this is pretty good speculation, he says this, the spit and clay used in this miracle echo the elements of the first creation, Genesis 1 and 2. Even more profoundly, they also announce that in Jesus, the new creation order has arrived. He who created man from dust now uses dust to restore him. With that in mind, we don't want to lose sight, no pun intended, of what happened in this story. Darkness was all this beggar had ever known. Imagine, never, ever, ever seen the colors of fall, the reds, the oranges, the yellows, the browns. Imagine, never, ever seen a sunset the pinks, the blues, the reds. Imagine never ever seeing a little baby smile. Imagine never looking into the eyes of a loved one. Imagine having to depend on others for everything, to lead you around, to feed you, to help you go to the bathroom. Several years ago, I was with a blind person at a restaurant, and and I didn't realize how incredibly dependent this person was on everyone else just to find his seat, sit down, figure out where his silverware was, where his glass was, what to order. Life would be very challenging if you were blind. And this man was blind his whole life until he met Jesus. Jesus heals him. Back to our story, verse eight. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. But he kept on saying, I'm the man. He's saying, I'm right here, I'm the evidence, I was blind, now I see. Look clearly at me for proof that Jesus heals 
Verse 11, he answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Because remember, he was blind. Jesus says, put this mud in your eyes, go to the pool and wash. And he did. And then Jesus is gone. So he doesn't know the identity of the person who healed him. Here's a summary so far. Jesus heals a blind man. People find this hard to believe, but the evidence is standing right in front of them. He's right there. He's the evidence, but they don't want to believe it. Not much has changed. People still have significant doubts that Jesus is able to heal those who are sick and blind and suffering Dr. Craig Keener, professor at Asbury Theological Seminary, recently wrote the definitive scholarly work on contemporary miracles. It's a two-volume work, thousands of pages, and he literally looks at thousands of cases of miracles from around the globe and carefully scrutinizes them, and he looks for medical evidence and eyewitness testimony, and the book basically argues that God is still performing miracles, healing people all around the world. Let me just give you two examples from the book. Physician John White reports that a woman with a confirmed diagnosis of tuberculosis of the cervical spine had been unable to walk, but she was instantaneously healed after a friend prayed for her. He said that her doctor was bewildered to find there was no evidence of disease in her body after she was prayed for. Dr. Keener writes, her illness was certain, her cure permanent, and the witness virtually incontrovertible. Here's another example. A grapefruit-sized, flesh-eating ulcer, no thank you, with the wound going to the bone, was boring through the calf muscle of a 70-year-old man in Florida. After treatments failed, doctors declared the wound incurable and amputation was scheduled. However, one physician laid his hands on the oozing wound, a brave physician, and prayed for healing. Within one week, his leg was totally healed. Another doctor said, it can't happen on its own, impossible, but it happened. But Dave, what about blindness? Uh, Craig Keener's work argues that in the last couple decades, there's over 350 instances of Jesus healing miraculously blind people. One doctor was very skeptical of this work, so he thought, I'm going to read this book, it's a two-volume work, and I'm going to prove that it's wrong. The opposite happened. He read the work and realized the evidence is incontrovertible. God still heals people today. He's powerful. He's alive And he loves to help those who are in pain and suffering. Does God always heal? No, he doesn't. Why? We don't know. But sometimes he does heal. Back to our story. This blind man who had been blind his whole life was healed by the power of Jesus Christ. Now, although this story in John 9 is wonderful evidence that Jesus Christ does, in fact, heal... Physical blindness is not the main point of the story. Which brings us to the second point. The main point of the story is spiritual blindness. Most of this narrative is taken up with the spiritual blindness 
of the Pharisees. So first point, blindness healed. Second point, blindness displayed. There's a lot of blind people in this story. Well, how does their blindness display itself or manifest itself? Well, in several ways. For instance, their blindness is displayed in legalism. Look with me at John 9, 13 to 17. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. Now apparently, according to the Pharisees, kneading dirt with saliva was similar to kneading dough. Now, that was one of the 39 works that was prohibited on the Sabbath by some of the Jews of the time. So these Jews are accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, breaking God's law, because he, he healed a man of blindness on the Sabbath, and he did that by kneading saliva and dirt together. Clearly a work. Now, what does the Bible say about this? Nothing. This is legalism. They're making up rules to put parameters on the Sabbath. And Jesus Christ has done nothing unbiblical or sinful in healing this particular man. But the point is, is that their legalism blinded them to the glory of Christ. And this still happens, doesn't it? Whenever we add rules to the Bible, whenever we think that by doing certain things, if we just read our Bibles more, if we just pray more, if we just give more, if we just serve more, if we're whatever, fill in the blank, if we do more and more and more of these spiritual things, then certainly God is going to love us more and God is going to make us even more righteous and more acceptable in his sight. Is that what the Bible says? No. That's legalism. And when you and I are so focused on doing certain things to make God love us more and accept us more, we are blinded to his glory. Part of the glory of Christ is the fact that he lived a perfect life, suffered and died on the cross, and rose again from the grave. He has done everything necessary to make us acceptable to God the Father. All we have to do is believe, period, end of story. When we believe, we are made righteous. We are declared righteous in God's eyes. Legalism blinds us from the glory of Christ. Blindness is displayed in legalism. Blindness is also displayed in fear of man. Look with me at verses 18 to 23. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. 
nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. He's old enough. He's an adult. Ask him. Sadly, this man's parents were enslaved to the fear of man. They didn't want to face the consequences. They didn't want to experience rejection for identifying with Jesus Christ, for giving Jesus Christ the honor, praise, and glory that he is due. Their fear of man blinded them from seeing the glory of Christ. And fear of man is still a temptation for all of us. Your boss or your boss's boss or friend may ask for your opinion on a range of contemporary ethical issues. And how you respond may cost you your friendship or your job. This just happened in Australia. Uh, Andrew Thornburn was recently appointed CEO of the Essendon Football Club, a major sports franchise in Australia. Within 24 hours, he was fired from the position because the organization found out that his local church held the traditional view on abortion and homosexuality. Fortunately, he did not capitulate to fear of man. He was willing to stand for his position and it cost him his job. When the pressure mounts, what is going to influence you more? The glory of Christ or the fear of man? Fear of man has a way of blinding us to the glory of Christ. Blindness is displayed in legalism. It's displayed in fear of man, but it's displayed the most clearly in pride. Look with me at John 9, 24 to 37. So, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. One thing I know, Jesus Christ has healed me. He has restored my sight. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? <laughs> do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> At this point, this healed man is exasperated. He's fed up. It's clear that Jesus Christ has healed him. He is the spectacular evidence right in front of them, yet they refuse to believe the evidence, so he resorts to biting sarcasm. Verse 28. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Verse 30. The man answered, Why is this, ama is this an amazing thing? You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. 
Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Hopefully it's obvious that these Pharisees are incredibly proud. They think they are far superior to the blind man who was, who was healed and Jesus. They are boasting in their relationship to Moses and the law. They think they're smarter, wiser, more spiritual, and overall better, more righteous than Jesus and the blind man. And this spiritual pride is blinding them, and they have no clue that they're blind. Again, the prouder you are, the blinder you are. And these leaders have no clue that they are stone blind. Well, what are some of the marks of pride? Because there's pride in all of us, isn't there? If you think you're not proud, you're probably really proud. According to one author, Stuart Scott, pride can manifest itself in several ways. A lack of gratitude in general. Humble people are thankful people. Anger. Seeing yourself as better than others. Being critical of others. Seeing your church, denomination, or Christian ministry as better than all the others. Having an inflated view of your importance and gifts. Talking too much. Ugh, that one's convicting. Talking too much about yourself. Never talking because you're afraid of what others will think of you. Also a form of pride. You want them to worship you, so you're afraid to talk because if you talk, they may not like you. Being consumed with what others think. Being devastated or angered by criticism. A lack of service in general, being defensive or blame shifting, a lack of biblical prayer. Someone who's humble realizes they need God all the time for everything, so they pray. <laughs> this next one I don't like either. Voicing preferences or opinions when not asked. <laughs> I don't like that one. <laughs> Always having to have the last word. Always wanting to be right. By the way, side note. I think the best book on marriage is not a marriage book. The best book on marriage is the book Humility by C.J. Mahaney. Because if you're humble, you're going to have a fantastic marriage. Because you're going you're to admit you're wrong, you're going to serve, you're going to listen. But someone who's proud is going to be a miserable spouse to live with. But the point here is that when pride is growing in our lives, we are increasingly blind to the glory of Christ. Our pride blinds us. Is there hope for blind people? Yes, fortunately. And that brings us to the last point. So, first, blindness healed. Second, blindness displayed. Third, blindness applied. How should we apply this story? Well, this story has two paradoxes about spiritual blindness. 
Paradox one, if you think you are blind, then there's hope that you'll see. That's the paradox. If you think you're blind, if you know you're blind, then there's hope that hopefully you'll see. Verse 35 to 38, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, the blind man. Having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus heals this man of physical blindness, and then he also heals him of spiritual blindness, verse 36 to 38. This man knows he's spiritually blind. How do we know? He seeks answers from Jesus, verse 36. He's a humble learner. He says, Jesus, I don't know who the Son of Man is, but I want to know so I can believe in him. Would you tell me who the Son of Man is? Jesus, I have questions it seems like you have answers. Give me those answers, and I'm going to believe. He demonstrates humility. He recognizes that he cannot see, but he wants to see, so he humbles himself, and he asks Jesus for help. Jesus, help me understand. Help me see. Help me believe. Jesus loves to answer that prayer. Our greatest need, by far, is to see more of Jesus. Well, how do we see more of Jesus? What, who helps us to see? The Apostle Paul tells us how this works in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Paul says this, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, shines into our lives, shines into our hearts, and gives us the ability to see the glory of God where? In the face of Jesus Christ. We see the glory of Christ with the eyes of our heart, with the eyes of our soul, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit wants to help you see and I'm sure you've all experienced this to some extent, if you're a Christian. You've read the same passages in the Bible maybe a hundred times. It doesn't have a huge effect on you. And then all of a sudden you read it, and that truth somehow leaps off the page and smacks you across the face, and you think, wow, I can't believe that Jesus Christ loves me this much. I can't believe that God promises to work all things for my goodness glory. I can't believe how glorious heaven is going to be someday. In that moment, God the Spirit has allowed you to see with the eyes of your heart. Something supernatural has happened. Jonathan Edwards, the great American theologian, uh, used to say, we can, we can know all about the taste of honey intellectually. But until we actually taste honey, we haven't experienced the honey or seen the honey. So we can know all the facts of the Bible. We can know lots of theology, but that does not mean that we are seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. The Holy Spirit has to help us see. Well, what happens when we see? 
Again, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Apostle Paul is saying that as we behold the glory of the Lord, as we see the glory of King Jesus, we are increasingly transformed more and more and more into Christ's likeness. The most important thing that could ever happen to you, period, is to see by the power of the Holy Spirit the glory of the risen Christ. The older I get, the more I realize this is the main thing. This is the most important thing. Why are people so incredibly godly? Why do some give away so much money? Why are some so bold in evangelism? Why are some such servants? Why do some leave everything to join the mission field? Because they're really disciplined or because they have all kinds of willpower or because they just gut it out? No, it's because they've seen something. They have seen a taste of the glory of Jesus. And that sight of Jesus has ruined them for anything in this world. And that side of Jesus is the only thing, by the way, that will satisfy you and I in this life. Nothing else will. No amount of money or sex or pleasure or success will satisfy you like seeing the glory of God in the face of Christ. Well, Dave, where do we see that in the scriptures, most specifically in the cross of Christ? The cross of Christ is the place where we see the most of God's attributes in one place. At the cross, we see God's incredible love, his mercy, his grace, his patience, his compassion, and we also see at the cross God's justice, his righteousness, and his wrath. All those things come together and kiss. There's a great old Puritan book called The Harmony of the Divine Attributes, and the book argues that all these things are seen clearly in one place at the cross. So how do you and I see the glory of Jesus? We read our Bibles and we pray like crazy. Spirit of God, help me see what I can't see. Help me be ravished and amazed by a picture of the risen Christ. And by the way, if you don't read your Bibles, you're never gonna see this. It's not gonna happen. Why should you read your Bibles? <laughs> not to check a list and make yourself really righteous. You should read your Bibles because you wanna be happy, because you wanna be satisfied, because you wanna experience deep, personal, experiential joy. We only see this vision of Christ in the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you've seen this, you should be immensely grateful because you can't see this apart from the work of the Spirit. And John Newton says this very well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. It was blind, but now I see. All of us before conversion were blind. 
that God, by his grace, has enabled us to see something of the glory of Christ. Paradox one, if you think you are blind, you have hope of seeing. Paradox two, if you think you can see, you are blind. John 9, 39 to 41, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. In other words, he says, if you were literally blind and could not see the things that I'm doing healing this blind man, which prove I'm the divine Messiah, you would not be guilty. But because you have seen all these miracles I've performed, and you deny me, and you still say we can see, you're guilty. Bottom line, the Pharisees thought they could see They thought they had the answers. They thought they knew who Jesus was, and they were totally blind. They did not see their need for Jesus. They were blind to their need for Jesus. And that is the number one reason people are not Christians. It's because they don't think they need Jesus. They think they're pretty good people. They think on the day of judgment they'll do just fine because they're better than their neighbors. Not recognizing that God requires perfection from everyone, everywhere. He requires us to love him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength 24-7, which none of us can do for even three seconds. All of us are in desperate need of what Jesus offers. And non-Christians are blind to that until God opens their eyes. You know God's at work in someone's life when they recognize, apart from Christ's forgiveness, his righteousness, and his perfection, I am undone. And here's the good news. Someday Christ will return. And when he does, he is going to judge the universe in righteousness. But until he returns, he offers everyone, everywhere, amnesty. He offers you peace and forgiveness. But you have to admit that you need what he has to offer. You have to see your need for Jesus. And right now, if you don't see it, if you're thinking, I don't know what he's talking about, let me encourage you to pray, Spirit of God, help me see what he's talking about. If there's truth in what Pastor Dave is saying, help me see it. If I need Jesus, Spirit of God, help me see that I need Jesus. And God loves to answer that prayer. Charles Spurgeon said this, it is not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It is not our weakness that hinders Christ, it is our strength. It is not our darkness that hinders Christ, it is our supposed light that holds back his hand. We think we're pretty good. God, thanks for what you have to offer, but I'm doing all right, I'm doing okay, I don't need that. That is the most dangerous place you could ever be in. The blind beggar of John 9 knew that he was blind apart from Christ. 
Do you and I understand that apart from Christ, we are blind, pitiful, poor, and naked? Jesus Christ, the light of the world, loves to heal blindness. And he can heal your blindness this morning if you humble yourself and ask him to help you see. Let's pray together.